Willkommen zum In the Abyss Deutschland Special. Wie geht's, Motorfickers? Sehr gut. Ja, sehr gut. And that's as far as that goes. Um, yeah, so German German special this week. Uh, but we'll we'll come we'll come to uh, we'll come to Germany in a bit after we've done the usual waffle. Um, so yeah, mutter fickers, are we good? Yeah, yeah. we we. What, what is going on over there? <laughs> God knows. <laughs> what is? It's imploding. That's what's happening. I, I came I came out of uh, I came out of class at four twenty, and someone just came up to me. Go, have you seen the news? And I was like, no, what's happened? Oh. She sacked the chancellor, and I said two hours ago she was backing him up. Like, what the hell is going on? See, this is what I keep saying. I came home, I tried to sort stuff out. I leave, and the shit hits the fan. You're, you're underestimating the stabilizing influence of Padre. I would never consider you a stabilizing influence, but whatever works. <laughs> yeah. No, she did a she did a press conference today just to go look. We we, we know what we're doing. We, we're going to reverse this, and it's all good. And trust us and all that kind of thing and I'll take some questions said the same thing to each question and then there was about a 10 second gap where she was looking around the room going um uh looking for a journalist that she liked in order to take a question from them and after that one question she, she then buggered off because it, it, it was just embarrassing um and they're all they're already talking about getting rid of her after what less than a month in power what a fucking mess! It's, it's just, I, I, it's, it's. We, we are, we are an episode of the thick of it at this point. Yeah, we are, and and every every week we seem to be talking more and more about British politics. So let's keep it to a minimum. Um, so you know, escapism wise, what you've been listening to this week because that's far more interesting to me than that shower of cunts. Well, I've um, yeah, bits and pieces of German stuff. Uh, so I've been enjoying Agent Orange by Sodom. Um, like a bit of Sodom, do we? Yeah, a bit of Sodom. Uh, metal up your ass, etc. Um, yeah, a bit of accept, early accept, balls to the wall, uh, and restless and wild. So yeah, it's lots of uh, lots of uh, dodgy stuff over here. Um, but yeah, bits and bobs from our playlists that we've been uh, looking into. A little bit of H blocks as well, because I remember them from back in the day. Hang on, wasn't isn't that that's that's they were like a rap metal band, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Jesus. I know. Just thought. I just. I was just curious to see if my memory was holding together. Not as bad as I feared they would be, but certainly not bad. I care to listen to ever again. In yeah, terms I've... of new stuff, the new Lamb of God album, Omens. Yeah, decent. Decent, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I mean, it's Lamb of God, so you know what you're getting. Production's good. Probably, probably up there with some of the heaviest stuff they've done. Yeah. Big sounding drums. Um, but yeah, yeah. So you know, you know what you get with that lot. Um, an album by a band called An Abstract Illusion. Uh, album's called Woe. Um, and it's a prog metal band. I, and I saw this album being mentioned a lot on Twitter by various people saying it's amazing, needs to be listened to. And I gave it a bash. And it's quite impressive stuff. Uh, very spacey and cinematic. Uh, um, beautiful. Bit of black. Bit of death. Bit of post. A little bit of everything. But it's it's one of those to sit down and listen to with, with a with a big set of headphones in the dark. Don't refer to post-metal on this podcast, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's, it's one of those which is bubbled under, but so much, so many um, good feedback on it, and it, it, I can tell why. 
I had a quick listen to it when you, you posted about it on Twitter. I, I don't think I gave it enough time, to be fair. I think it's one for Wolfman, I think. You write up his yeah. street. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was all right from what I heard. I'll give it a bit more of a listen. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, those are my main things this week. Holy man, have you been um, doing the German? Yeah. So I was listening to um, Gravedigger. Nice. Good stuff. Um, and I, I've had uh, Creator and Sodom on my players for ages. Um, and obviously a bit of Scorpions as well. Um, can't I can't really listen to Accept. I just... Everything, every time I listen to Accept, I just think back to Balls to the Wall and I'm sorry, I just can't take it seriously. And I know it's not necessarily <laughs> trying to be serious. I just, that song was so, or that album, the cover, the song titles, the lyrical content, the music, the lyrics, just, it was so over, over the top in a really cheesy way. I just can't, can't take it seriously. Well, it was Balls um, to the Wall. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, like Halloween, I'm not really that au fait with. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of Creator and Sodom ever since we had Steve Hughes on. And they're one of those bands, Creator and Sodom were bands that I've been aware of them for years, but I haven't really given them the time of the time that they 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 deserve, I think would be the best way to put it. Gravedigger again, another band that I've you know known of for years, but I've not really given them the time that they needed. But I was like listening to like some of their tracks, like the Gravedigger, the House King Past Raven. The solo on Gravedigger is uh, is awesome. Um, it's I, I I find it hard to kind of categorise some of these bands. Um, yes, but Gravedigger we'll just get, we'll just a that. traditional heavy metal band, aren't they? There's no sort of there's no, no but there's like to it. no. I'm not saying there's a niche to it. It's like can you? Is there anything that really stands out as making it? German and it feels like there is but it's very difficult to put your finger on so I mean that we, we can get into that later um, and then not really listen to much else it's just German stuff and then uh, Carcass Heartwork just complete utter pants music that my uh, students have been insisting I listen to and I'm like I don't want to do it you know like what it's just, oh just this is Italian rapper Oh, Jesus. It, it, no, it's bad. It's, let me just, well, I said to them, I, I was playing, um, I was playing Cowboys from Hell in, uh, in class at the start of the lesson. And they were like, oh, can we put me some music on? I said, no. It's not your account. So you're not paying for it. It's not your classroom. And they were like, well, can you play this? And it was like, um, what's it? Miko something. Oh, it's, it's really bad. Um, I can't use Spotify. I forgot. There we go. <laughs> okay, Nico Pandetta, and the song is called Pistole, which means pistol, and it is—it's just—it's just pants. It's just this is the thing I, I can't get into a lot of Italian music because it's—I just find it just overly sentimental, and and it—it it, it doesn't seem to like differentiate itself from anything else, you know. Well, I gotta um, be honest, you wouldn't necessarily. Um think of Italy when it comes to hip-hop, would you? So, But not just hip-hop, just pop music in general. Yeah. I mean, the stuff the stuff that they listen to here, 
uh, or the majority of like young people who are into pop music and things like that, it, it's very hard to detect the difference between it. You know, it's, nothing really stands out. I mean, there's a couple of big acts. There's like Laura Pausini and the ubiquitous Vasco Rossi. He's like he's kind of an old crooner now. In terms of like mainstream like metal and stuff like that, a lot of it is um, European. It's from elsewhere. It's, it's not. It's not homegrown. There's a lot of homegrown, very small bands that probably play in on a weekend somewhere. Um, there's a like next month. There's like four metal bands playing down down the road from where I live at the small metal bar, which I'll be going to. And um, that's about it, really. I mean, I don't. I mean, the the only band I can think of from Italy is Lacuna Coil. Yeah, you got. Um, um, I suppose you got Rhapsody as well. They're Italian, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. or Rhapsody but, but, Fire, you know, or whatever they're called now. But like for for a country that is is quite prolific in terms of art, artistic content in what it produces in terms of fashion, like design art to some extent. Obviously, going back even expression. Go back, it's you know it's quite a vibrant community here, um, but musically it doesn't seem. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe there's not there aren't enough big Italian like hard rock metal bands that have attracted the attention of the uh, you know the music executives and the big companies. So they're not really getting the exposure that they should do. Well, I suppose um, I, I suppose actually, you know, another one recently is Maniskin. Yeah, who um, who seem to be sort of catching on around the world, don't they? Yeah, I, I don't think they're very good personally, but it's, it's all right. It's yeah. what are they called. Uh, Maniskin, M A N N or M A N? They won. They won Eurovision a couple of years ago. Well, that doesn't really say much, does it? <laughs> I'm just looking through. Um, just looking through a list of Italian metal bands, and yeah, it is really thin on the ground. Like we said, Rhapsody, Lacuna Coil, Elven King. I've heard of them. They're um, they're Italian. Disarmonia Mundi, Graveworm, originated from Italy. Uh, that's that's about all I can kind of. The only bands that I sort of recognise, really. So yeah, it's not exactly a hotbed, is it? Probably. I think. I think it's all the problem is there's there isn't the um, there isn't the infrastructure for it. First, you don't get pubs out here. There's not there's not a metal pub. I mean, I think there's a couple. There's one or two in Rome. Um, and there's probably there's probably you know one in Naples and probably more. You probably see them more in. Some of the bigger university towns. Yeah, a lot of it's covers. A lot of it is cover bands. Um, yeah, that's right. It's like I went to see Yngwie Malmsteen cover band in Bari years ago. It was quite good. Yngwie you know, <laughs> Malmsteen cover band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy could really play, and it's Fuck just it, it was novelty. It's like it's, it, I mean, how often do you get to see a Yngwie Malmsteen cover band? Did he? Um, did he look like Yngwie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they they were they were really you know, trying to had the fender, you know, the shirt was open, the crosses, all the bracelets. Nice. The nice. If, you get, the if you're gonna go Ingve, you've got to go for it. Yeah, you um, can't do that by. And heart. like the, the the cover bands you see out here, um, I remember seeing a really really good Rage Against the Machine cover band in 2006. Like, I was like, this is almost as good is seeing them, the actual thing. I mean, it was no perfect. And it was in a really small bar. And then, like, I saw Slayer covers band. Um, 
a lot of my mates played in metal bands when I lived in Sicily and some of the stuff they did was quite good, you know, for what it was. But they're never going to get, you know, they're not going to go out on tour around Sicily or Southern Italy. There aren't enough places for them to tour. And you're not going to play the same venue again and again and again every week, are you? No. So... Is the infrastructure potentially affected by um, the religious culture over there? Because as much as it might have a fan base, um, it, it, is, it, is it the case that it's the polar opposite of Scandinavia, where anything with this kind of devilish imagery is actually um, fought back against? And so... No, I don't, think- no I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's that. Um, I think... I think you're more likely to see people being like, if they saw a black metal band play here, they'd be like, see, we've been telling you about this for 2000 years. (laughs) So no, I don't, I don't think it's any kind of like um, repression by the, uh, the Catholic church here. Um, Cause it, I mean, the Catholic church here, it's much more uh, culturally embedded. So people People, a lot of kids will go to church just because that's what you do. You go to church. It's a social gathering just as much as it is for a religious function. Um, because like when you, if you go, if I go out for a walk Sunday morning and I go past the church and they, obviously there's numerous masses. It's not just like one service. They'll have them going throughout the day. Do they throw but holy water at you? Probably, yeah. Um, I, I try my best to bless them. You know, my flock. But um, they'll, you know, they'll stand outside the uh, church and they'll all be talking and they've got their... They don't even wear Sunday best anymore. You know, you'll see their people there in like Kappa track suits and stuff. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and then they just go to the... Uh, they'll go down to the cafe bars and just be all be stood outside. So if you want to go and get a coffee in the morning, don't go while church just kicking out because you'll never get served. Um, <laughs> no, it's, 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 you can't get in. It's ridiculous. I just, it, I think it's a case of um, rent some premises. The fact that the subculture is quite small. Um, the fact that there's not really, I don't think there's a really strong culture of going out for uh, gigs. And also, like I think I've probably Germany, Scandinavia, the UK, Ireland. There's more culture of, uh, there's more of a drinking culture. Yeah, I think that's got something to do with it. Um, you know, like Italians will drink, yes, of course, but not to the same extent that uh, Brits do. Right, and that's a refreshing change actually. It's nice being able to go out on a Saturday night and you're never going to hear what are you looking at. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. You're not going to get chin in in a kebab shop for like looking at the wrong person or get any aggro like that, or even see any other aggro. I've never, I've only ever seen one street fight. In Italy, and that was, um, I think that was something to do with it, it. Was it was the mob? They must have been involved. It was in Bari, two thousand seven. It was probably over a woman, to be honest. Um, I was going to say near, over a woman. It was near one of the bars where, like, the ultras hang out. So, like, you know, the football clubs have like yeah, they're at specific bars or like little supporters clubs, and they they can be a bit dicey. Um, whereas, like, when I lived in uh, Korea. I saw fights all the time. It was, it was, you know, like, and they would go on for ages and the police would never get involved. They could have like gangs of people. Like I, I saw like a really big, like five on five rock one time and it just went on and it, it kind of goes in like peaks and troughs. So 
they'll beat the crap out of each other and then they go back to shouting at each other and then they've slowly build up to one of them spits one of them swings one of them tries to kick the other one and then they're back on the floor you know and, and I think it's an interesting thing because someone explained it to me that if you go back um, 50, 100, 150 years, the disputes were settled in the town square or the market or something. And the reason why these people are having these public arguments over it could be money, could be could be anything. The reason they're shouting is because they're trying to make their case so other people can hear it. So then they'll be like, oh, yeah, he's right. Yeah, you should you should pay him that money or you should apologize to him. So they're trying to like kind of curry the support of the people around the marketplace. And I thought that was quite interesting. And I think there's some truth to that. Because once you, when you see it happen, whereas in the UK, it's not it's not a thing to do with that. It's just like, I'm going to beat the crap out of you because I've had 10 points of stellar. You know, it's like, and that's it. It's just visceral violence. All right, well, thanks for your um, cultural world tour. <laughs> <laughs> At least that tells us we won't be doing an Italian. We, we've covered Italy there already, then. Yeah, well, yeah Italy's done. Yeah, I, 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 honestly, but, no, but what, what can you talk about? I can talk about what I've been listening to this week, which, again, is largely German. Um, I did the, uh, the the double header of Keeper of the Seven Keys, part one and two today. I'm not really... Oh. I'm not, I'm not even going to get involved with part three, but um, <laughs> yeah, those two albums are a bit of a fucking masterpiece. There's no doubt about that, but I'll talk about that later. Um, and yeah, all the, the other German stuff. Um, dug out a bit of Heaven Shall Burn, which I haven't listened to for a long time, actually. Very underrated band. And then all the usual stuff. Um, what else? Uh, the new Skid Row is out today. I know that's going to have polarising opinions, but I really enjoyed what I've heard so far. It sounds like just sounds like Skid Row to me. I'm not going to knock it. It is what it is. Does what it says on the tin kind of thing. Um, and the new Vacuous album. So if anybody's not heard of Vacuous, the kind of British sort of death metal band. Tinges of hardcore and grindcore. Just a bit of extreme metal in general. If you're into that kind of thing, check them out. They're really good. Don't sound like they've got much going going in them. Huh? Never mind. <sighs> yeah, all right. All right. I missed that one. Fair enough. <sighs> take um yeah that's been about it um so yeah uh new feature then week two we did it last week we're trying again this week and your choice in the abyss underground band of the week who is it that's that's the jingle this week (laughs) i haven't found an actual one so (laughs) i found some sort of popping um i have found a cracking band from liverpool called video nasties um just stumbled across them on Instagram. And I think I thought, I've heard. I think I've heard of them. Go on. Yeah. So of course they got they got the eighties horror imagery as well uh, on their on their art stuff. So I thought, yeah, that's right up my alleyway. Gave them a bash. Um, a lot of the songs start with eighties horror synth as well, just as an intro. But there wasn't a great deal of that in the actual music. Um, they called themselves Black and Roll, so not Death and Roll, but Black and Roll. But I think I think Entombed. Uh, Wolverine Blues era is a good starting point, but it's a much more nasty, evil sound, but it's bigger and heavier, um, punishing, real punishing guitars. Um, but it's got a bit of that groove and a bit of that drive that you expect from that sort of, you know, rock and roll sound that's, you know, put through a industrial amplifier. Screechy, screechy, uh, screechy vocals. Uh, so they've got that sort of black metal aspect, but yeah, it just sounds bloody huge. 
um real you know real guitar sound that you want to keep coming back to um so yeah we've got a, an album out from a couple of years ago so hopefully there'll be another one in the future but yeah and no, i really really like him this lot um definitely going to be keeping an eye on them i think cool there you go i'll um i'll put links up over the socials um well around about the same time this episode on air uh, so everyone go and have a listen. Um, I'll check them out as well. I've heard the name. I've, I've never listened to the band. So I'll, um, from your description, I'll definitely go and check them out. Uh, what's the album called? Let's have a look. Dominion. Okay. There you go. There you go. That's a, that's a nice metal sounding album name. But yeah, get on it. All right. We'll give that a listen. And like I said, I'll, um, I'll put links up um, on Instagram and Twitter and all that lot. So anybody who's not heard of them, go and have a listen. Um, what's been going on in metal this week? Um, not a great deal. I think Bloodstock announcement a couple of days ago, shaping up to be a really good lineup, to be fair. Um, Anthrax in Flames, Sepultura, Ugly Kid Joe, Whitechapel, Trollfest, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, non point Church of the Cosmic Skull, which I had a quick listen to and very interesting, very strange, but I'm, I'll definitely be watching them. Um, and Biohazard original lineup reunion, which is quite cool. I haven't seen Biohazard for a good 20 years, so um, yeah, look forward to that. I think um, it's uh, it's already looking like a strong lineup. Whether that blood that um, Biohazard lineup will actually last, I don't know. I think there's a lot of drama surrounding them. Um, who knows? We'll know what Evan Seinfeld did with his porn career and all that nonsense, so so we'll see. Um, did anybody see this news? <laughs> or this story of what King Diamond did with his royalties from the Metallica covers. No. Yeah, bought, himself yeah. a, bought himself a Corvette, like yeah, a true rock star. Mustang or something, yeah? Or a Porsche. Corvette it was, yeah. So fair play to him because, <laughs> you know, it's not like he invested it sensibly or anything. I know he went out and bought a Corvette. I think he had an old Mustang or something and he got rid of that and bought the Corvette with the money. That link you sent about the um, Dave Ellison uh, yeah, we should, we should mention that since we're um, since we're talking about the big four. So, Ellison, Chris Poland, and Jeff Young um, are performing. I don't even know. They, they, they just like Night of Thrash or some some weird name. I can't remember what they called it, but it was the three of them and a couple of a couple of newbies, um, and they just banged out loads of Megadeth classics. And just looking at the set list, um, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. To be fair, but I'll um I'll put a picture of it on Instagram later. But a lot of songs that Megadeth would never play. Yeah, I mean, I I quite like the look of the uh, firstly looking down the cross, great show, very underrated. Um, Good morning, Black Friday, and Devil's Island. I don't, is that a mashup? It looks looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a shame though because if that if that is true, because Chris Poland's guitar playing on that particular song is really good. Yeah, I mean, I do like the the end solo in Devil's Island, which is by Chris Poland again, because he's got that kind of bluesy feel to it. Obviously, because he's a jazz player. Yeah, but yeah, but it, it, it again, it goes back to um, what Rob said on the early '90s episode about Mustaine or Megadeth or well, Mustaine basically making bad decisions. Because if you've got so many ex-members that they can actually then go away and form a new band to then go and play your previous material. That's quite sad. It is a bit when you think I about mean, it's it that like, way, yeah. It's almost like some kind of um, 
Megadeth alumni, isn't it? You know, like there's so many of them. I mean, how many guitar players are there? Chris Poland, Marty Friedman, Jeff Young. That's 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 in the 90s, 80s and 90s. Uh, I can't Al, keep Al Petrelli them. after that. Um, yeah. Pico now. Uh, oh God, there's been a couple. Um, Chris Adler. No. Oh, Jeff, Lu- Jeff Loomis. Album. Jeff Loomis did recorded on one album, didn't he? Or was involved somewhere? Jeff Loomis. Yeah. Seven or eight guitar players since. Yeah. Well. Um, and technically, if you want, Kerry King. Kerry King, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's mad how um, many he's gone through. Who's, um? yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to hear the, the, the vocals for that band because I do think, I, I, I've always thought that the only person that could sing for Megadeth is Dave Mustaine, especially that earlier stuff. Yeah. It's that sneer. It's sneer. It's like yeah. that really aggressive um, sardonic sneer that he's got, especially on like the P Cells album. Um, I don't know how you would replicate that. I mean, because his voice now is just shot. Well, in in the times we're in, someone would have filmed this, and no doubt there's there's going to be clips on YouTube, so I'll, I'll go look for it after. But um, yeah, it probably didn't sound like Mustaine. They probably didn't try and make it sound like Mustaine. But I don't know. No, plenty of bands have covered Megadeth and and have done it well. So. You know, when um, Lamb of God did Wake Up Dead a few months back, you know, that sounded great with, with Randy's vocals on it. So he's because he's got that kind of, I don't know, it's just that guttural kind of voice. It, it worked really well. Is there, a, is there a video of that? Well, of Wake Up Dead? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, think it, I think we talked about it on one of the very first episodes. It's just like it a feature Dave Mustaine. Yeah, Mustaine's on it. Kiko's. I think Megadeth. All of Megadeth are on it. It's like a. It was like a joint reworking of the song. So it's it's good. It's oh, yeah. a good sort of beefy okay. sound. I'll listen to that later. So um. So yeah. Uh, what else? Life of Agony. Um, announced a, a UK and Europe tour, doing thirty yes. years of River Runs Red all over this. I've only yeah. seen Life of Agony once, and I was so smashed I don't remember a thing about it. So. <laughs> So, I saw Life of Agony once with Whitfield Crane. With Whitfield Crane, yeah. <laughs> that was Ozfest, wasn't it? Uh, that of a big day out. Uh, they didn't do big day out, did they? They did Ozfest, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I they were both at Milton Keynes, two uh, a year apart. So I yeah. get a lot. I get mixed up a lot of the time. Yeah, I've I've never I never saw Life of Agony with Whitfield Crane, so it, I think it must have been Ozfest. Um, but yeah, I. I I saw Life of Agony the once when Keith um, first came back to Life of Agony, which would have been around about 2003, something like that. So we are talking a couple of decades ago, and yeah, I don't really remember. So this time, I'll make a bit more effort to stay sober. I'm looking forward to it. it should be good. Madball supporting as well, which is even better. So all the uh, all your um, London hardcore types are going to come out of retirement that night. Yeah. White wife, Peter Vest, tracksuit bottoms, and stamping ground baseball caps everywhere. Was it the LBU? Were they called? That's something like that, wasn't it? And it's um, it's at Tufnell Park Dome as well, which is a bit of a bit of a stomping ground for that lot. There's a lot of hardcore shows there back in the day, so yeah, they'll all be out in force. But that that's a really good tour. Um, it's a bit of a shame Prong is supporting the mainland Europe, but not in the UK. That would have been mm. a great package: Life of Agony, Prong, and Madball. But I'll take it. So uh, yeah. dates are all up online. Tickets are less than 30 quid, so it's, it's, it's definitely worth doing. 
Ticket to less than 30 quid. <laughs> these, these days, that's a bargain. That is a no, no, I'm just bargain it. now. It's sad. It's sad. Only 28 50. It's fucking mental. Paid 20 well, I mean, like I said, I got my, uh, I, I got my um, electricity bill the other day. Yeah, 160 euros. Yeah, thanks, Vladimir. <laughs> you. Twat. Uh, mine's going to go up to about 350 a month, so... It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it won't go down, though. Once everything no. goes back to normal, it won't go down. No. No. It's what's yeah, otherwise known as profiteering, cunts. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, just a quick shout-out that we've... Um, we, us fools, well, two of us fools, uh, will be involved in a little show at the Dev in London on December the 10th, because uh, obviously the holy man can't join us. Um Private jet's not available that weekend, unfortunately. It's in for a service, so sorry, you can't get it. Well, um, I'm willing to wear an earpiece, and I'll be on the other end feeding you lines. I'll, I'll get, I'll, maybe we'll get you on Skype and just hold an iPad in the air. I don't know, something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been, um, we've been asked to be involved in that, do a little bit of MC and, and maybe some DJing. I don't know, we'll be there, I'll be half cut. Who knows how it'll go. But it'll be fun nonetheless. And it's my birthday weekend, so fuck it. Let's go and enjoy it. Yeah. But it's, it's a, it's a free gig, so get involved. Yeah, we're going to try and find as many uh, like dodgy Christmas covers of classic, uh, well, metal covers of classic Christmas songs. It's probably hours and hours of that. Yeah. You know, Twisted Sister did an entire album, so it shouldn't be difficult. But yeah, it's at the dev, 10th of December. It's a free show. Starts at three o'clock. Loads of really good British bands, get down there, get drunk, headbang, enjoy it. Should be good fun. Uh, one last thing, uh, this week's John Schaefer update. Anybody seen him yet? He's gone to ground, mate. I'm telling you, he's gone to ground. <laughs> they, they've, they've subpoenaed, they've decided that they're going to issue a subpoena for Trump. So Schaefer's next. Yeah, Trump will give him up. And, and Schaefer's going to be exposed as the real mastermind behind it. <laughs> and um, you know, like what they did for the Waco siege, <laughs> like that. <laughs> but for John Schaefer, he'll John be in Schaefer a conference. And Ted Nugent. Yeah. Has, anybody, real... has, has anybody knocked on Nugent's door? Because I reckon he's in his basement polishing his guns. That's what I was going to say. Nah, I think about Schaefer. It's, it's a real horror show. Oh dear God. Well, the man's pure evil. What can I say? I, I I don't know about the you know the both of you, but in response to last week's episode, I, I've been getting death threats. <laughs> what? Because of Queen? Yeah, from what from for some of the comments, you know that guy that they interview on the year and a half from the life of Metallica, the one. You no, know, he's Brian May's the best. Guitar. Oh, yeah, the best guitarist in the world. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's, he's got my email. It's like a, a torrent of abuse. He's going to kill my wife. He's going to kill my dog. He's going to burn my family to the ground. You know, he's like, have you got any idea how difficult it is to, you know, put a guitar out of a toilet seat? And I was like, yes, I do. You obviously don't. Um, you need to get a life. You know, even though you're on a Metallica video, you still can't get laid. 
I'm going to put it out there now. You know, if anybody knows that guy, if anybody's watched that film and everybody knows him, the one who says, Brian May is the best guitarist in the world. If anybody knows him, please track him down and let's get him on this podcast. That would make my fucking year. I wonder if he still feels the same. But I just go, it just goes around bars. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, that, that was me on it. <laughs> still wearing leather gloves, leather fingerless gloves. Oh, oh dear God. <laughs> But we, we don't deserve the abuse. You know, we, we raised an important question. We weren't there to slag off Queen. We raised you, a question. So we went, I, I went out afterwards and a lot of my co-workers were at the bar having a drink and I got that. And they, they were like, oh, you know, how was the podcast? And I said, oh, yeah, we just, we, we just rinsed Queen. Like, we just spent two hours absolutely rinsing them. And... um. One of the one of the new teachers was like, "What's wrong with Queen?" <laughs> I just went off on one. So like, I got the playlist out, and I was like, I put on like so like, no so in the, then in the week when they were in this in the staff room at work, I put the playlist on, and they're like, "Who's this?" And I was like, "Thought you said you were a Queen fan," <laughs> and, and they were like, uh, "Oh, is that Queen?" I said, "I said, see, proves my point. Point proves, yeah." You can't put a man of a crowd and not think shaking Stevens, can you? <laughs> it's just I mean, I'm sorry, they some of those some of those tracks, I mean, it's not even the fact that it's shit, it's it's the worst type of like kind of 80s synth pop. It, it, it's just what the hell were you thinking? Like, I mean, it makes risk sound good. Whoa, 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 whoa. Take a step back there, holy man. No, 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 no. But that might be too far. I'll, I'll, I'll take load or reload, but not risk. That's one step too far. Look, I, I've had some abuse this week as well, but I've also had a lot of people agree. And a lot of people say, well, I didn't really think about that before or something along those lines, you know? And it, I don't know. It was, it was always going to be like kicking a kitten, like I said last week, but sometimes that kitten just needs a fucking good boot up the ass. I've had, I've had no, no feedback, no negative moaning or, or positive because I've just got no friends. Oh, fucking hell. You had to say that, didn't I mean, you? You're just, a metal fan. Of course you've got no friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to... It's not just, part of the script. Raise, before we move on, I'd like to just raise one point again. I need to get this off my chest. Yesterday, we could be the Italian way. Senate voted the uh, in their uh, speaker, right? Um, they've elected someone to be the Speaker of the Senate whose grandfather was Mussolini's chief of staff. Oh, Jesus. And is a known collector of fascist memorabilia and who sees absolutely no problem with the concept of fascism or Italian fascism. This is juxtaposed to the fact that the senior member of the Italian Senate is a female politician who is also happens to be a Holocaust survivor. And she gave a speech about the uh, crimes of fascism and stuff like this. And then you've got that absolute twat giving another speech about how there's nothing wrong with fascism. And you think, can you not draw the connection between Mussolini and fascism and the fact that there are trains full of Jewish people leaving Italy and going where? Auschwitz, for God's sake. You know, it's this, this whitewashing of the past. What the fuck is wrong with the, this, this, this world? And that's what I want to say. Just fuck's sake. But um, are they creative? 
you know, if, if, they're, if they're not fans of creator, then, then it's, it's not relevant. We might just edit but, that. But on, on, just on another note, since we're talking oh, about Germany, God. no, no, it makes an interesting question because we're going to obviously talk about the environment with which German metal springs up. So look at look at the way that Germany has not just been forced, but forced itself to really look at its own culpability and its own history in a way that very few other countries have. And they, they're much better for it. The way that it's taught and the way that, that the almost turning a blind eye that happened during the 1930s and, and, and World War II has been called out, and like you know, with grandkids saying to their grandparents, "Why? Why didn't you know? How? How? What do you mean there was a funny smell, but you could never put two and two together?" Like with reference to the smell coming from the concentration camps or the death camps or the the camps where the, the prisoners were left to rot, basically as as they retreated, and it's that facing of facts that is entirely necessary for a country to deal with something like that and deal with it in a way where you come out the other side being more inclusive, more confident, more compassionate and more willing to, you know, deal with the consequences of truth. Whereas look at what we do in this country where we refuse to look at the history of the British Empire in anything but rose-tinted spectacles. You know, for, for, for fear... Or if we jump into the raging torrents of like self-reflection, we'll somehow lose our Bermuda Union Jack Bermuda shorts and not be able to sing Royal Britannia. And it's the same thing in Japan. They whitewash their own history. They refuse to really accurately cover the rape of Nanking, the Japanese atrocities in World War II. And I'm sad to say this, it happens in Italy. I, I teach GCSE history here. I have to cover the final solution. Italian students don't learn about the Holocaust, period. It's not even taught. It's not on the curriculum. And they, unfortunately, played a hand in it because they enabled the Nazi regime to a certain extent. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty poor. It's, it's not even it's it not is. Even curriculum. And, and, and what's the result of that? The current government, where they've now elected for the first time since World War II, a bona fide far-right fascist party. And it might be dressed up as something else, but like the, the rhetoric they use is very clever because it's almost like a, a far right dog whistle without the actual obvious uh, tones. But like when you've got someone standing on a platform and their slogan is God, family, father, that's Maloney right now. What the hell does that sound like? Sounds like your country's going backwards, mate. Ein Volk, Ein Reich, Ein Führer. That's what it sounds like. It's just, it's embarrassing. And, and, and this, is, this is supposed to be a leading member of the European Union. And it's just bizarre. And I had to, I, some, of, some of my students, you know, bless them, were getting worried. Like, because some of them are LGBTQ, some of them are homosexual. They're coming out with things saying, oh, we're going to clamp down on this and we're going to clamp down on that. And I said, look, they can't do anything like this because basically if they do, because you're a member of the European Union, you are privy to the judgments of the European Court of Human Rights. And if and those things will go against the Charter of the EU, they will not be allowed to happen. Whereas in, U in the UK now, because we've left, we've no longer got that kind of voice of reason. So 
all bets are off. We've got a voice of reason. Yes, we do. Um, but that's my Thank two you. cents. I will leave it there. Sorry, I just need to get it off my chest. Thanks for that. It does sound like your fucking country's going backwards, though, so good luck with that. Well, I mean, yours is going backwards. Ours is just imploding, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but anyway, shall we talk about German heavy metal? Because, you know, I've seen it. I've got my fucking creative T-shirt on. I've got my pseudo-German beer. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. So let's talk about Germany, because after Sweden, I reckon Germany's probably got the biggest affinity with with heavy metal in Europe. Um, we won't include the UK for obvious reasons, but like I said, outside of Sweden, I think it's um, I think it's up there. Um, so we've we've all been listening to a fair bit of German music this week to kind of brush up on it. You know, we're all familiar with the usuals, with Creator, with Ramstein, with Accept, with all of that. We know about all of that, but it's not just about the bands. And in fact. It's almost less about the bands in Germany because while Sweden churns out metal bands off every corner of every street, Germany's not quite so prolific. It's more about it's more about the affinity with with metal in Germany, just that that deep rooted love for it. Um, back in 2006 and 2007, Padre and myself went to Wacken a couple of times, which was which was an experience to say the least. Um, won it Padre I mean the first year was just we went straight there but the second year we went into Hamburg first at a night there and that was that was that was great fun wasn't it yeah back into how you do you should do a festival um, I, I mean what I loved about Vakken it wasn't just the actual festival I remember walking there you know we get off the, we got off the train walking into the uh into the town and through the town to the festival site. And there was that guy sat out in his front garden with the speakers playing ACDC yeah. with a cooler of beers, selling them for like, you know, a couple of euros a pop. Um, the people were just out cooking in their gardens and selling like uh, currywurst and stuff to passerbys. And like, you know, the, the entire town was behind it because like, it was like they were proud of it. And, and so they should be. Uh, it's a great festival. And then once you get there, just that it's, it's like, it's the, the the way I see it is back in now is basically the heart of the metal community on this earth. It's it's where the brethren congregate to almost worship at the altar and you know be around each other. I mean, do you remember that that the, the just over from where we camped, there was just that van and we went over to say hello and the, just a guy in the back just doing tattoos. Yeah. Set up his own little tattoo parlor. I mean, it's like I mean, you're not gonna see that in the in the the UK, yeah, it was, um, it's, it's very different from any other festival I've been to. And going back to what you're saying about the town, I mean, for anyone who's not been, um, it's, it's quite a mission to get there. You fly into Hamburg and then you get a train up to Itzehoe and then you, there's a shuttle bus from there to the village of Wacken. It's all it is, is a village, really, in the middle of nowhere. Um, and like Padre said, the entire town kind of embraces it. You've got the kids with the little carts, haven't you? You bung them a couple of euros and they'll drag your beer back to the festival site from the shops. You know, in their little sort of cards, it's the whole town fully embraces it. And that's something that you would never see in the UK because we don't we don't do that kind of thing. It's more like, oh, no, the great unwashed are coming to our town. We better go on holiday for the weekend. And it's that that kind of and that's what I mean by the affinity with metal. The festival itself 
is is something else. I mean, that was a long time ago, but I'm sure it's still the same. Doesn't matter what time of day it is or night. Doesn't matter who you talk to. And I know metal festivals are generally like that, but Wacken especially. You know, you meet people from all over the world. People travel from all over the world to go to that festival. I think when we were sat in a bar in Hamburg, I think we we met someone from South America. I think he was from Argentina or Brazil, one or the other, that had travelled all that way just to go to Wacken. And that that says it all. No one's going to do that for download. Well, well, I say that there might be, but I, I, I've got a. I can remember one story I heard uh, for Sonosphere where a bunch of Brazilians came over just for Sonosphere. They had a small rucksack each, no tents, no camping gear. They they just rocked up to the campsite with the aim of just sleeping on the floor and drinking for two two or three nights until they got a plane back to Brazil. Was that when Maiden played? I think so. Well, that, that that makes sense then. I, I I don't know. I think it's when I camped there, but I'll have to. I, I all merge into one. I think I said this earlier, but yeah, certainly when I I was camping, there was a notable bunch of Brazilians that did that. So, but yeah, it depends on. The, I suppose it depends on the festival. But it was like it, it's things like just the way they do things. I mean, all the beer was in was proper beer in proper glass bottles, and it was cold. And all right, yes, there was broken glass everywhere, but it was cleaned up on a daily basis. Out. Sorry, go on. I've still got the plastic cups from Wacken. Yeah, I, I, I haven't. I haven't. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the first night we got there, we would we we just sat in the um, in the bar and drank through till daylight the next morning. The bars don't close, you know. And there's there's no there was no attitude. There was no you know no sort of I'm more metal than you kind of thing that you get at a lot of these events. Um, I think Bloodstock this year had a similar kind of feel to it. I'll admit that, but. Back then, you know, we were in our mid twenties, mid to late twenties. Um, it was, it felt like it felt com- worlds apart from what we'd seen in the UK previously. And I think it was, Christ, tickets were cheap as well, weren't they? It was like sixty-five euros for a weekend ticket. You know, yeah. this, this was the days of the cheap flight as well, so the whole thing cost next to nothing. So, if, um, I mean, the chances of any of us going now are pretty slim. But if anybody hasn't been, it's definitely something as a metal fan, I think everyone needs to do at some point. You know, they do quite a lot of special stuff. The the, um, the Scorpions Thursday night to remember wasn't wasn't all that great the first year we went, but across the two lineups, there were some amazing bands. Flame, flame-breathing metal Scorpion that broke down. Yeah, that broke down. It was very Spinal Tap. It, it kind of, it moved about six inches, I think, and that was about it. And they played for about three hours and the whole place went nuts and well, they're allowed to. It's their, it's their own. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, talking of scorpions, they're obviously, you know, one of the originators of of hard rock and heavy metal in Germany. They're around since, well, effectively around since '65. Um, Klaus Mein joined in '69, and then they kind of became the Scorpions from there. So, you know, we're best part of 50 years, well, over 50 years now. But. I suppose German heavy metal really kind of kicked off in the eighties, didn't it? I don't know a great deal about the whole Krautrock movement prior to that, but I can only assume from a, from an alternative culture point of view, that's kind of where it must've started. Sort of. It's interesting because certainly to begin with, there was a lot of exposure to Anglo-American music um, in the second half of the 20th century because of uh, the, the military presence in West Germany, which also impacted East Germany later on, but come to that later. But yeah, rock and roll and pop was popular for a bit. End of the 60s, they wanted to do their own thing. 
um, following the student protests in 68, which was worldwide, and they had their own motivations, uh, the youth in Germany. And yeah, you ended up with, with Krautrock, as the British press dubbed it. Um, and it was known in Germany as Cosmic Music, um, apparently. Um, I think both, obviously, those terms have derogatory connotations. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was very, very experimental, um, taking all the pop and the rock and the soul and all sorts of things and just doing weird stuff with it. So you end up with bands like Can and New, Faust. And it's all, yeah, it's, it's, it's over my head, if I'm honest with you, a lot of it. But um, you've got stuff like Tangerine Dream and Craftwork, which were a lot more... I don't want to say straightforward, but they're much more focused on the electronic stuff. Yeah. Um, they have a career. And without them, you, you wouldn't have synth pop full stop. Um, so we've got, to be grateful. we've got to be grateful for those bands. Um, but that's that's pretty much what it was in the 70s in Germany. Is they, they really made their own thing to the point where it pretty much took over everything, in, in, certainly in West Germany. Um, and hard rock and heavy metal was actually a bit of a, was very underground. So as much as you got all these this stuff coming over from Britain and the, the the USA, it wasn't really taking massive hold of Germany for quite some time because they've got their own thing at that point. They don't they don't want to know about anything else. So it, it's very underground. You, you can get gigs, uh, and Scorpions are you know they're they're plugging away, they're doing their thing, um, but you've got to you've got to work very hard for it. I mean, the reason Scorpions managed to get a career in the 70s is because they actually did a lot of touring outside of Europe. Uh, not outside of Europe, sorry, outside of Germany. Um, they, they ended up with a, a codependent relationship with UFO um, to the point where when UFO toured with them in Germany, uh, the guitarist had a problem. They borrowed Michael Schenker. That's how Michael Schenker ended up in UFO full-time. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's Learned pretty much it. every day. Yeah. Um, because he was an original member of a band when they were sort of part of a, the the experimental stuff. Um, because that's that's what that's what all you, all your bands were doing. It's when they wanted to go in their own direction that um, they started pushing. You get to nineteen seventy nine. They released Love Drive, which you know they got a new guitarist for Uli Uli John Roth, John yeah. Uli Roth. Yeah, yeah. Uli John yeah. left. Uh, they they go a little bit more commercial, but also a bit more maybe more metal, more more heavy metal, as it were. They sort of push that side more. Uh, yeah, new guitarist Michael Schenker comes back briefly, and it's a great album, probably their best, I would say. Um, and this is at a time where you know it's ten years after all the experimental stuff has started. You've got all sorts of new musical genres coming out of America and Britain. It's a bit more difficult to stay away from. And of course, you got the exposure through the radio for the military, new wave of British heavy metals kicking off. So it's all starting to click. Um, sort of, you know, as, as 1980 starts. Germany didn't really have, like you say, new wave of British heavy metal. Germany didn't really have the same thing in the early 80s, did it? As such, it was, um, it was I suppose it was the, the thrash bands in the eighties that kind of, that came to the fore first, maybe bands like Warlock, I suppose would be, would be another one. Um, yeah. I mean, except as well. Yeah. Well, only except formed in 1971. So they were knocking around for ages before yeah. they, so I mean, their first couple of albums weren't really very metal. It's, it's with Breaker that they yeah. went down that direction. And that was 81. Uh, the thing is a lot of these bands, 
the Teutonic Thrash bands, they actually formed in the early 80s. And they kind of did the sort of traditional heavy metal, but maybe faster. You know, they, they all loved Motorhead and Venom, apparently. Um, and so obviously they were able to push on with that sort of stuff. Yeah, Warlock were a bit more straight up heavy metal. Yeah. Sort of glam rock, maybe. Um, but yeah, that was that was the early 80s. It just took a bit more time to gel. But it seems to be Scorpions. If you didn't have Scorpions, who'd done well up until that point, it, it's interesting to see how it might have developed because that was almost when that clicked for them. That's what pushed pushed everyone in those communities. Yeah, I suppose Scorpions, I mean, yeah, they had sort of dips in form, as it were, but they were always flying the flag, weren't they, all the way through, well, through the last five decades, essentially. Yeah. Um, even going into the late 80s when we had the, uh, the the abomination that was Wind of Change, you know, a UK number one single, which, you know, isn't to be isn't to be scoffed at. And obviously, you know, Rocky Like Hurricane, we all know that, all the, all the, the big songs. And they're still, they're still now playing... To massive crowds, they headline festivals. You know, they, they must be they must be over a hundred years old, all of them. So, you know, they're just one of those bands. That still, I suppose, I suppose, in a way, you, you've got to put them in the same sort of breath as maybe not to the same standard, but you've got to put them in the same breath as as Sabbath, as as Deep Purple, as, as all of them, really. Yeah, I mean, I I say certainly as I've been listening to them a lot, as, as as we know for a while um now i think there's definite parallels with judas priest's career yeah because if you look at you look at them at the start they were doing what was popular um not not as great but they were very much doing the the main main thing that was uh in vogue at the time and then they started to push in their own more metallic direction uh with those twin harmonic guitars started embracing the sort of metal look so to speak, yeah. Um, flirting with sexualized lyrics and imagery. Um, so yeah, by nineteen seventy nine, you can you can look at Love Drive and Killing Machine in very similar ways. Yeah, I think. Um, and yeah, like I said, that's when it clicks clicks for them. No, I, I yeah, I, I can see that. I suppose maybe there was a um, as there quite often is, maybe there was a, was a a desire in Germany for something a bit harder and a bit heavier and a bit faster, a bit more aggressive, which is where, which is where your um, your Teutonic thrash comes into it. Now, we all know that the big three: Creator, Sodom, and Destruction. We'll talk about them in a minute. But um, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You said just before we started recording, there was there's thirty odd German thrash bands out there that many of which we may or may not know about so there obviously must have been a fairly healthy thrash scene um in germany in the 80s yeah pretty much um certainly in west west of west germany the rural area so dortmund dusseldorf essen um it was quite healthy there because you got a heavy mining industry so it comes back to being a very working class area um and so you know, they wanted that escapism and they connected with the music much in the same way as working class people in Britain did. Um, and you've got that. One thing Germans do very well is community. They're a very social, socially minded, socially aware um, society where they're all trying to do things for the greater good. Um, they want to you know, look after each other. And that's that's that no doubt's impact how they do things like Wacken 
and why a town like that can get behind it because it's good for the town yeah. it's, it's good for everyone you know and and you know everyone's on the same level we all want to enjoy ourselves and do you know and, and come out of it with a with a great weekend and it was the same in those areas they, they're all getting into this music they wanted to start playing bands and the community centers started letting them use them and practice and playing playing venues because yeah it was good it, it's good for everyone and you ended up with loads of young bands sort of doing their stuff um in the early 80s so yeah you've got the people you mentioned well was it I think destruction are on the swiss border i believe but yeah there's all sorts of bands and they're all they're all doing their, their thing and yeah the amount of bands i found you've got risk toxic shock holy moses and holy moses need a bit of a shout out because i think they might be the First example of a female-fronted metal band, where the rest of the band were male. Yeah, I think I think maybe maybe Warlock came just before, but I mean Holy Moses are more outright extreme metal, not extreme metal as it would be be later on, but guttural vocals. Yeah, more, like gra- more aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so I think you know they they maybe their material wasn't as great, but. I'd never heard of them before this week. So yeah, I've heard of them and I've listened to some stuff over the years in and out, but I've never really, never really kind of taken to them in, in any great way, to be honest. Yeah. The Angel Dust, <laughs> Grinder, uh, Tankard. I've, I've heard enough of them. Love a bit Minotaur, Iron Angel, Necromonicon, Darkness, Pyrocanda, Paradox, Assorted Heap, violent force i mean it's just there's just loads i mean it's ridiculous quite frankly um i'm just looking at this thing i'm never gonna listen to all this this week in prepare preparation so it's just it's it's stunning how vibrant it really was and uh, yeah maybe the fact that a lot of these bands aren't around today and didn't have big careers suggests the quality of the music but it really does suggest the quality of the, the you know the the interest in the scene I think, I think Holy Moses are still around, aren't they? I think they, um, yeah, in some way, something came out a couple of years ago. And obviously, Creator, Sodom, and Destruction, the, the two tonic trio of German thrash, um, are still doing a thing. And I think uh, Sodom and Destruction, I, I, I kind of dip in and out of. Um, some of it's okay. I find Destruction a little bit all over the place sometimes. Um, some of the early stuff is okay. The, the last album, um, I can't even remember for the life of me what it was called, um, Diabolical, which came out this year, was was really good. Um, but they are a little bit hit and miss. Sodom the same. Agent Orange is great, but some of it's a bit, mm, it just gets a bit a bit boring. But Creator, um, yeah, they had a bit of a dip in kind of the 90s. Then Violent Revolution came out in 2001. Um, the Enemy of God in 2005, and ever since then, they've just—they've just their, their latter material is so strong, so good, you know. And they've just—they're—they're they're bigger now than they ever have been, you know. When they play live now, they've got full stage production, pyros, the full fucking works, you know, which they, they wouldn't have had 25, 30 years ago. So, you know, they've kind of gone strength to strength. Um, the last album, Hey Uber Alice, was was brilliant it's very melodic thrash now see it, it struck me as much more melodic than the earlier stuff it's very melodic yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 almost sort of 
you know, quite rocky in places. It's a bit of a testament feel at times. Um, but songs like Strongest of the Strong, just, just such a hook to it all. You know, and you can't help but like it. If you're a metal fan, you, I'd be surprised if you didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's... Pleasure to Kill... Yeah, that's, that, that, that's a bit of work for me, I think. <laughs> it's, more, it's more Slayer than Slayer. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the early creator stuff was very extreme. Like Steve Hughes was on about, wasn't he? You know, he, he was big into the early creator stuff. And I've, I've gone back and listened to it. Um, and it, it's a lot less user-friendly. No. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, but, um, they, they've definitely honed their, honed their skills over the years, that band. And, and they've become a bit of a monster. Just going back to the festivals thing, um, like I said, you know, we, we briefly touched on us going to Wacken, but across Germany as a whole, um, there's, there's an awful lot of metal festivals, you know, of, of varying sort of size and levels. You've got Wacken, and then you've got With Full Force, Rockham Ring and Rockham Park, which are a bit more download-esque, I suppose, a bit more sort of commercial. Um, Bang Your Head, Keep It True, Summer Breeze, Rock Hard, you know, and these all these festivals all attract a really strong lineup of, of metal and they've all got kind of got a different feel to them like keep it true kind of goes with the name you'll have a lot of bands like saxon headline that and grave digger and, and then all of this sort of new wave of traditional heavy metal stuff that's around now that's kind of where it goes but the fact that there's i know germany's a big country but the fact that there's so many metal festivals clearly means there is a, there is a massive hunger for it you know we've got one proper metal festival in this in this country, proper outdoor metal festival in Bloodstock. And you've got Download, which is a rock festival. And then you've got things like Damnation and Steelhouse, which are kind of a bit smaller. But, you know, Germany, you, you are spoiled for choice with this kind of thing. And the lineups are always really strong, really strong. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's a geographical thing, you know, that when bands come over to do the, the festival circuit in the summer, you know, Germany being in the middle of Europe, it's easy for them to kind of cover all these festivals, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, it's very convenient. Yeah. Where they are, I think it's just, it's just, you know, everyone in mainland Europe can get their reason off. Scandinavia and the UK, I suppose, is not going to be too much bother, um, physically anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably just developed from that, really. Yeah, it's um, they just, I mean, sometimes you just look at it and you think, you know, but then... I can imagine it's a lot more expensive to do it now. Like I said about Wacom, when we went in 2006, 2007, it was the age of the cheap flight and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it was quite easy to do, whereas now it's probably harder. You know, it's, um, I'd imagine tickets are more expensive and, and all that kind of thing. But it's, uh, it's, it's obvious for everybody to see. And you can have a look at some of the lineups, to be honest, because over the years... You know, they may seem like sort of smaller festivals and and things like that, but there's always a good a good range. Like with Full Force, for instance, has a lot of hardcore, has a lot of punk, as well as it does metal. Rock and Ring and Rock and Park, like I said, they're more commercial. A bit like Download, you'll have your, your Chili Peppers and stuff like that. Bang Your Head, Keep It True, both very traditional metal festivals. Summer Breeze um, has a lot of extreme metal some of the commercial stuff as well, a lot of goth metal, that kind of thing. So there's, it's almost like each festival has got something different to offer. So that must mean that there's, there's a really strong scene no matter where you go. Wacken just covers the whole fucking thing. 
You know, when we went in 2006 and 2007, your headliners are Iced Earth and Typo Negative and bands like that. Whereas now it's Maiden, it's Slipknot, it's, you know, biggest metal bands in the world kind of thing. Tickets sell out within a couple of hours. Like I said earlier, people going from all over the world. You know, it's um, it's like a metal pilgrimage. Yeah, well, so I need to get there at some point. Because um, I, never, I never got around to it, <laughs> sadly. It's worth it. It's worth it. Um, yeah. Andre, do you go both years? I can't remember. No, I went in 2006. You only went the first um, year. The year after, you went with um, Chris. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But it's... Um, it's, it's an experience that everybody needs to, well, certainly as a metal fan, needs to go. I, I will say, like, sorry, go on. I mean, well, I need to get over to Germany at some point. I mean, I've been toying with the idea of seeing, like, Enforcer if they do Germany next, because if, if they don't come to the UK, I want to see them somewhere, and I want to do a walking holiday in Bavaria, being the old fart that I am, so I can combine both. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do the same. There's just something about it with Germany and everybody we met um, in Hamburg um, with German people or, or people from all over the world going to Wacken, there was just a really good, a really good atmosphere. Um, there was a bar that we went to in Hamburg called De Clockard, which was essentially just a door in a corridor, like every kind of cliche you can think of down this grimy corridor, through this door, up these stairs to this shitty little bar. Um, and it was like 50 cents for a little bottle of beer. The, the jukebox was full of Dark Throne and Creator and Slayer and everything else you can think of. And there was a, uh, a balcony, they called it, that was, uh, that was sort of encased in steel in a cage. And you had to kind of crawl through a hatch to get out to it. You know, but it was, it, was, it was so cool because it overlooked the, uh, overlooked the, the Hamburg Red Light District. You know, it was um, it was a totally unique place. I think it's closed down. I don't think it still exists. I had a quick Google. I can't find it, so I'm assuming it's closed down. Um, but it was like exactly what you want from a metal bar: grubby, dark, dingy, cheap beer, great music. You know, everything you could possibly want. And all the people you talk to, doesn't matter where they're from. It was just you know like you'd known them your entire life. Yeah, and you got a place like that in Berlin as well. Yeah, so for anybody who doesn't know, there's a, a bar in Berlin, not being there, um, dedicated to Rob Halford. There is, there's like a statue of him outside. Yeah, I mean, the, the owner is a spitting image of Rob Halford. Yeah, I've, I've looked on the website and looked at pictures of that. and um, That's it, yeah. And um, yeah, you got also, I mean, he, he, basically, whenever they tour Germany, they hook up and he always gets a free ticket to to the shows you've got all sorts of tickets over many many years hanging from the walls well you would expect that wouldn't you if you, if you, so, if you run a bar dedicated to rob halford you're going to expect tickets so yeah yeah i mean i think i went i went there on yeah, wednesday or thursday night so it wasn't particularly heaving i think it was just a few few people coming in and out so i was just chilling at the bar most of most of the time i didn't get completely drunk by any means i just wanted to go there really um it's in east berlin so um was the um, was the music nothing but Judas Priest or was it? No, it. You know, the, the main thing I remember about that uh, was they usually just had some sort of video um, video channel on that was 
very metal focused. I don't know if it was just curated for the um, the pub, um, but it seemed to me that every other music video was Gravedigger. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think I pretty much exhausted my Gravedigger listening habits for a life that night. Uh, but what I do remember was the um, the cocktail menu. I don't remember every cocktail menu. Um, I'm not I'm not a cocktail drinker, but I was just sort of looking at them with uh, amusement. Uh, and I was taken aback by the Lemmy cocktail. Right. And the ingredients within, which was three shots of Jack Daniels, three shots of vodka, three shots of rum, and half a Coke. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I was thinking that would kill me. I'd have a that go. would kill me outright. Yeah, I'd have a go on that. <laughs> Fuck it. It's like a Long Island iced tea. I'd have a go. If you're going to call a drink the Lemmy, it's not going to be, you know, mostly lemonade, is it? But it's it's that it's that love for it that, that that's different to to Sweden. You know, in Sweden, it's almost ingrained in in mainstream culture, and you know, all the like we've we've spoken to Lois Creature, and we've looked into the Swedish scene, and there's you know all the, the the government help for rehearsals and all that kind of stuff, financial help. But Germany, it's just almost like it's just a it's just a love for it. There's there's nothing more than it's just a deep rooted love for heavy metal. It is. Um, I think I saw one of the articles I came across, which was talking about Germany, and there was a comment with it. Um, they take it seriously, as you'd expect. Which, but but you know, it, they do anything anything that is important to them. They do take seriously. It's it's part of what they do, and and yeah, why would you not take it seriously? And okay, metal is great. It's fun. It's enjoyable, and it, it is yeah. for all of us. But maybe it's an aspect of that national char- character that just gives that, that additional dimension and enhances it, enhances their love for it in a way that we don't, and it doesn't even in Sweden. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's strange because, like I said, it's it's more intertwined with with mainstream Swedish culture. But Germany, it's just I don't know. It's like it's like um, you know, uh, man of war in Germany. You know, yeah. Man of War, you know, massive in Germany. Well, they're massive in a lot of places, but particularly in Germany. Uh, you know, I think Man of War are a massively overrated band anyway, but it's it's well, I mean, nonsense. It comes to the power metal love, didn't it? Obviously, which start with Halloween, really, it's fits with that stuff. But is is it got is it got something to do with their their musical history? Because this is a country that's that gave us Beethoven and Brahms and Handel and Bach and all sorts. Wagner. So you've got that as part of their culture. Um, so again, does metal click in that way? Surprise! I'm surprised Padre has chimed in on that. It's, yeah, you're probably right. We we know there's a there's a link between the two, but culturally, he says sitting there. Are you drinking white wine? <laughs> I'm drinking beer out of an uproar spritz glass. <laughs> um, so it's a plastic. It's not. It's not a glass. It's a plastic cup but it kind of holds exactly a bottle of beer. So uh, we, we actually uh, swiped these from a bar because they were like closing up for the summer down on the seafront. And uh, Nat was like, oh, I'm going to get a bottle of wine because we're going to go back home and drink it. And they charged us 35 euros. Fucking the bottle of wine. And the bottle of wine was only like worth seven. So she was like, take the glasses. So we took like four, <laughs> gave gave two to someone else, and we kept the other two. So 
Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good quality, uh, it's a good quality glass. Quite fit, you know. Um, but yeah, you're right. It does. It looks like white wine. I, yeah, I assumed you were drinking white wine, and I was going to give you abuse for I that. I just like I can't, I can't get German beer here. It's like it's, I, I want to, you know, would have really liked a, a Paulana or a or an Erdinger, but. I do like a bit of Erdinger. I mean, I'm on the um, the, the pseudo supermarket uh, German beer, Krombacher and uh, and Vorsteiner, which um, I think are both exactly the fucking same. To be honest with you, just in, dressed up in different bottles. But um, I do remember the, the the beer at Wacken was particularly a good one. I, I I don't remember, no matter how much we drank, I don't remember getting a headache. Don't remember having a hangover the next morning. I think that's also because well, we did drink a lot. Because I remember pointing this out. We were having like a pretzel with every single beer. So we were just soaking the booze up. The fucking My pretzels. God, those, those pretzels were good. Those fucking pretzels. Yeah. yeah. And like the, it, the, the, um, <laughs> the meat sword. <laughs> was, it, it, was it pork or was it goat? What was it? It was just it was like a pork and beef mix. Yeah. It was like a meat along, them. wasn't it? And they put the bread roll on top. Yeah. Genius. And the, uh, the, the German garlic bread as well. Knob rot or whatever it was called. Yeah. I like, um, I, I think I, we were getting those things for breakfast, the, uh, the fricadellum. I still eat fricadellum now. You can buy it in Lidl. The stuff is fucking amazing. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's another, it's a, and again, it's another European country that really put thought into how you're cooking stuff, fresh ingredients. And yeah. I, but again, what the hell has happened to the UK? <laughs> God, here we go. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it's like, I mean, like one of our one of our listeners, Chris, has just come back from Munich and um, uh, Salzburg, and some of the pictures he's been posting of the food that he's eating over there. You know, yeah, look the, good. The, look good. the Wiener Schnitzel with the gravy and the mashed potato or the, the sandwiches or the, the, the pretzel, what's it, the cheese pretzel or the yeah. pizza pretzel, the, yeah. the strudel. And it's just like, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I miss those. The, the, the food at Wacken was, was, I mean, like when you, when you can just sit down in the beer garden at Wacken and have like a pork knuckle with sauerkraut and mashed potatoes and it costs yeah. you like what, six euros. And it's a massive, it's like a massive slab yeah. of meat, you know, it's like, and then I you can go imagine- to Reading and say, can I have a burger, please? That's 10 quid. <laughs> Some shitty rat burger. <laughs> I can imagine it's more expensive now, but we, we can reminisce in, in the days where you could go to a festival with 60, 70 quid in your pocket, stay wasted all weekend and have three meals a day. You know, but um, so let's talk about the, some of the other bands a little bit because, you know, it's easy to go on about thrash when, uh, when you're talking Germany. We've mentioned Gravedigger already. Um, we talked about Accept already. I want to talk quickly about Halloween and in particular, going back to what I said earlier on, Keeper of the Seven Keys, part one and two. You know, I'm not the biggest Halloween fan. I think the rest of their back catalogs are a little bit, yeah. But those two albums in particular are just works of, fucking works of art. Progressive power metal, whatever you want to call it. But just packed full of great, great metal songs. You know, and but is it a concept album? I can't remember if it is or not. It probably not sure. is. Not it probably sure. is. But well, if it's, if it's a two-volume thing, yeah, I'll, it, it probably so. is. Yeah, but yeah, I've I've only ever seen. I saw Halloween once um, at one of the Bloodstocks a few years ago, 
Um, and for my sins, I didn't really pay much attention to them. But yeah, listening to those two albums today for the first time in quite a few years, they are so fucking good. Maybe it'll inspire me a little bit more to listen to some of their other stuff as well, but those two in particular, um, yeah, just just packed full of great songs. And, and they were the albums that sort of invented power metal as we know it today, weren't they, really? Um, I think you're probably right, actually, yeah. I mean, you know, there wasn't... when they were, they were out 87, 88, weren't they, I think? I think the first album was 87, yeah, because yeah. they, started, they started a bit more fresh. Like yeah, they were. Hard. They, they, yeah, they were uh, a lot harder in the very early days. So they got, yeah, the uh, vocalist came in for the album, and they took it that direction. You know, I mean, why was that? Was it just they, you know, wanted to come up with something fresh, um, or was was that the, the man of war influence sort of part of it? Because as much as you say that that's that's when power metal, as we know it, started. Power metal kind of started before in America with your, your Man of Wars and your Syrafungas and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, those, the Dungeons and Dragons heavy metal bands, basically. Yeah. They didn't really push, push for speed and the, excuse me, the symphonic aspect, but they, yeah, they kind of made it a bit more ridiculous in terms of aesthetic. I mean, that's that's that. that's where um, power metal comes in though, doesn't it? Because if you think the early Man of War stuff, I know it's the Syrafungal and stuff like that, it's, Musically, it's just traditional heavy metal, isn't it? Whereas the way Halloween took it, took traditional heavy metal as it were, they took it down almost a much more, at times, a, a bit more of a poppy element. I mean, some of the stuff, you wouldn't call it poppy, it is very progressive, but there's, there's definitely poppy choruses. It's much more full of hooks. It's less aggressive, mm. all of that. So that's, that's what power metal is for me anyway. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. I mean, power metal is... It's, it's not the most powerful, is it, metal? It really isn't. It's, no, some of it's a bit it's, wet. It's the lightest, but you'll notice a lot of the time it's very major key based. Yeah. Very major key where, you know, it doesn't have the discordant uh, melancholy a lot of metal does. Um, it's a very different kind. But again, that's why I sort of think it comes back to the, the symphonic stuff and the classical that um, Germany was very good at over the years. And they, you know, brought that in into the, the operatic stuff with you know gusto and we did a pop as well germany well i mean going on from um from halloween and talking to german power metal you've got avantasia which obviously was a spin-off essentially of ed guy um, ed guy yeah yeah <laughs> and then lavatory lavatory <laughs> love machines yeah, i know i heard i heard that i listened i haven't listened to that song for years and it's just oh my god i remember this ridiculous ed guy's oh. got some great stuff you know, it's, it's cheesy, it's a bit daft, but they have got some great stuff. There's some great songs. Yeah. And hands down, Lavatory Love Machine is is it's just a bona fide metal hit as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Primal Fear as well. I love Primal Fear. Yeah, we saw we we saw them, didn't we? Bloodstock or were they supporting like some children of bottom, I think. That was that was the first Bloodstock in two thousand and four. Yeah. I know we saw Gamma Ray. Gamma Gay. Uh, that was the, yeah, that was the Friday. Look, yeah. Primal Fear were always one of those bands that um, that kind of got sort of labelled as a Judas Priest tribute act, didn't they? But yeah, and I kind I kind of I kind of get it, but they, you know, they they didn't really sound that much like Judas. I suppose they sounded a little bit like Ripper Owens era Judas Priest, maybe, but they were just just a straight up metal band. You know, yeah, you know, they did a song called Metal Is Forever. What more can you ask for? 
they're a band that, that don't they, they hardly ever play in the UK seen them twice no. both were bloodstocks and I, I don't think I've seen them in the UK since no, that's another just thing here. it's another thing like a lot of those bands that they, they can go all over Europe um, and, and play to fairly big crowds and that kind of thing but in the UK it doesn't really catch on Gravedigger another one Gravedigger yeah. hardly ever play here Power, power metal hasn't really got the same fan base in the UK. It no, really no, it's got it's got its fans. It's you know absolutely, but it doesn't have enough of the fan base because again, mate, mate, we it didn't it didn't come from the UK. It, it, no. It's a German thing. It's very European in style, and it, you know it takes elements of American heavy metal as it as it started as we as we said. Um, it's not British in spirit. And I wonder if that's why it hasn't really caught on over here. Is it having other parts of Europe? Yeah, you know what? You're probably right. I think it's um, it's very, it's very sort of uh, you, you get the uplift feel from power metal, don't you? That's that's kind of what it's all about, and that's not really in the British psyche. Is it? We don't we don't do no we we positivity. Yeah, we 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 want we want oomph, we want shout, we want aggression, but we don't. Yeah, it's it's maybe that's it. Maybe it's too happy. Yeah. And we're miserable sods. <laughs> and that's that's what bands like Ed Guy bring, I suppose. And if you can do a song like Lavatory Love Machine, it's always it's bound to have a positive yeah. kind of feel to it, isn't it? So, you know, fair play to my say. Um, Avantasia, which are a, uh, a spin-off of Ed Guy. So that's, um, I can't even remember his fucking, Tobias Samet, that's his, his sort of side project. And he's involved all sorts of other people in that. Kai Hansen's been involved with it. Um even Bob Catley from Magnum has, has done bits with Avantasia. I quite like that. It's, it's, it is very conceptual and it's very, it's a little bit self-indulgent, I suppose, but it's good power metal nonetheless. So do enjoy it. Um, Grave Digger, we've talked about. There's not a lot, there's not a lot of um, extreme metal that comes out of Germany. I've got to be honest. I mean, from all the, Necrophagist are probably the, the one that stick out more than most, but yeah, I mean, a lot. I saw a couple of articles about you know the death and black scene that's over there, and it's it's very small. Um, mm. I had just no time really because what's clear is this there's so much going on in Germany in terms of metal, it's it's great, and there's too much to, to look into quickly. Um, I think they're not going to have that association with black and death in the way that's been established in Scandinavia um, or even Florida, um, really. Um, however good it is, we, Germany is power metal, is, is heavy metal, it's, it's traditional. Um, and yeah, thrash metal as well, they, they, they took it on. Um, and I think that's why. They're, probably, they're no doubt brilliant at it, but you've not got that association. So I think there's, it's, there's, it's um, there's there's a few bands uh, again going back to back and that are um, sort of German bands, German German language bands. We'll come on to Ramstein in a minute. Um, yeah. That have never really, I've kind of got into off the back of going to Wacken and seeing them. Bands like Subway to Sally, bands like Umph, uh, yeah. bands like The Apocalyptic and Writer. Um, New quite, Heart. Who? What? New, it's called it's called New Deutsche Heart. It's called what? Yeah. <laughs> Elaborate on that. Uh, it's new German hardness. Okay. Yeah. Which I think to our ears is basically industrial metal, electronic. See, sort of I've, 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 I've looked into that. There's, there's quite a strong industrial scene in Germany, isn't there? 
Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is the this is the country that gave us Einstein's end the new button. Yes. <laughs> who I actually listened to again as well this week because I never have done, and I know they had an influence on Depeche Mode. Yeah. Early on, and it's it's just noise. Yeah. It really is. It's just blokes drilling holes into machines and bashing metal bars and screaming, and it's yeah, it's just noise. <laughs> it's not. Are they like KMFDM? Were they German? Yeah, yeah, KMFDM. Uh, Lieback, another one. Um, oh, Lieback, yeah, Christ. I think Swans yeah. were German as well, were they? Yeah, yeah, another yeah. one. So, yeah, so, so yeah, yeah. Atari Teenage Riot, another oh, one. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> riot, 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 riot. Padre, do you remember watching Atari Teenage Riot at Reading many, many years ago, like half 11 in the oh, morning? Oh, Yeah, um... They were on before Dexy's Midnight Runners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kevin Rowland. Yeah. Yeah, and he came on and he just refused to play that song. He, he came on dressed in stockings and suspenders. Oh, yeah. He was. Yeah. He, he had a weird yeah. Then, Kevin Rowland. Yeah. He, he, he was slightly arousing, but not quite enough, just a semi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let, let's, let's talk about, so just, I say, just talking about German language bands. Um, we can't talk about Germany without talking about Rammstein because they, they kind of transcend all of this because they're you know now one of the biggest rock bands on the planet, let alone a German metal scene. Um, and there's a, there's a documentary that's worth watching, which is about Rammstein trying to break America. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, I, I don't think I'd pay to watch it. But um, it's like a two and a half hour long documentary of them initially trying to break America before they became massive. Um, and then the fact they couldn't then play there for 10, 15 years because of fire regulations in most American cities, it was never worth them doing it. They wouldn't do it if they couldn't do a full show. So when they first went over there, they were playing small clubs as this kind of industrial tinged metal band. This is before like Sensucked came out and all of this. And, um, there was one story they were telling. One of the things they used to do, because obviously anybody who's seen Ramstein will know this, that the keyboard player gets a fair bit of abuse, <laughs> to say the least. And in the early days, it was no different. So what they used to do in Germany was uh, they used to take fluorescent lighting tubes and they would smash them over his back as part of the show. And this was all very well and good. They went over to the States and they were trying to do it in the States as well, but they found that Fluorescent tubes in the States due to safety laws were a lot thicker and a lot stronger than they were in Germany. So, they, and there's, there's video clips on this, on this documentary of him in a little club in, I think it's in New York. Uh, and they're trying to smash this um, fluorescent tube on the keyboard player's back and it just won't break. And they keep on smashing it and they're hitting him harder and harder and harder. And eventually it breaks and a shard of it goes flying out and straight into the guitar player's shoulder. Oof. And there's like all the pictures of them afterwards, all covered in blood, all look like they've just had the shit kicked out of them. Um, and the fraud that, that sort of came after this. So then after that, they got this reputation already. They tried to go back to America when they started to have pyros and things like that. And they found that they couldn't play anywhere. You know, fire department would not, would not protect venues from Ramstein. So they just didn't bother. So I think, it, I think it wasn't until about 2017 they, when they were big enough, they did a show at Madison Square Garden with full production. But in that entire period, 
they couldn't play in America because they didn't go, really. Yeah, yeah. Because no, nowhere that. would allow them to play and do a full production, and they wouldn't do it if they couldn't do a full Ramstein show. So they developed that career in Europe and Asia yep. and yep, everywhere else but the states. I didn't, I didn't know that. I'm shocked. You got, you got to watch this documentary. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's so <laughs> good. The, the challenges okay. that they had trying to break America, they did everything they possibly could, but they just got turned away everywhere. And it's almost like, you know, it was the big sort of fuck you to America. We'll just go and, and become one of the biggest bands on the planet everywhere else. Yeah. And then America will want us back. And you look at them now, you know, they've got their own entire stage now. It's not just a production. It's, it's just... <laughs> They're just a machine. Well, they're just they're just brilliant at what they do. They are. I mean, they came out of this scene. Let's say this. Yeah, it's called New New Deutsche Hart, which stands for New German Hardness, and it was. Um, I mean, they they were East Berlin. I think you know, um, and I think a lot of these bands were East German in yeah. culture. Um, that's probably why they sing in German, because they, unlike a lot of West German bands, they were. They, they remained German. They, they couldn't really sort of involve themselves with Anglo uh, cultural aspects. Um, so they were still used to that. Um, but the fact is the kind of music they played, which was industrial and, and mechanical, it worked. The German lyrics worked. It sounded natural. It sounded authentic for what they were doing. Um, you, don't need, you don't need to know the lyrics. It, it just works. And Rammstein are a great example of that. It, it it's, it might sound weird initially, but that's just because you're not used to it if, if you don't speak German. But it clicks. There's that, that word again, they say authenticity. It, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's their roots and it, it works. I think if you um, if you tried to take Ramstein with in English, it probably wouldn't it wouldn't work. It, well, they do. They, they have done songs in English. <laughs> there's there's there, a few bits in there, yeah, yeah. And it's almost a like bits. a quirk that they can get away with because yeah. that's the kind of band they are. You know, when they sing, we're all living in a... America. I mean, is that you know, is that a reference to the nonsense they've experienced? Is that yeah. a, you know, a little yeah. clever dig? Um, and you know, it's only singing songs about pussy. It's it's quite. It, it's art. It really is art at this point. Um, I don't think they get enough enough credit for how um, how creative and how out there they can be. Like you say, songs like pussy and the fact the video to that was straight up porn. Yeah. You know, um, and they weren't afraid to do that. A band that's as big as Ramstein uh, and will still do that kind of thing. Um, America's a perfect example. You know, the lyrics in that, all about American sort of pop culture and that kind of thing. It does seem like a bit of a dig. Um, there's, yes, there's, there's a comedic element to Ramstein, definitely, but they, they put the whole package together very well. And I can't imagine seeing Ramstein live without all that bonkers production no no it's it's yeah i mean the, the, the songs are great but it's it's an entire package and yeah you know they're going to be they're, they're going to be writing that music to complement the performance yeah it's symbiotic um they're not going to write that kind of music if they can't perform it in that way and do all of the other shenanigans um it's all part it's all part of one overall product I think America also had a problem with the um, the the nightly buggering of the keyboard player as well. <laughs> yeah, that that also wasn't particularly popular. So you know, I can imagine um, Bible Belt America didn't take too kindly to that. Yeah, any 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 yeah, the sort of 
yeah, the sadomasochistic element. Yeah, which yeah. is, I mean, America's the US is an interesting nation in that regard because obviously they have more freedom than a lot of European countries do, where they can do what they like. Yeah. Morally, they frown upon it more. So yeah, it's, 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 weird. it's weird. It's like, oh, this stuff's legal, but we don't want you to do it. We're going to make sure you can't do it as best we can. Yeah. As in Europe, it's like, all this stuff's illegal, but whatever, crack on. You find a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's bizarre. <laughs> I mean, I've, I haven't seen Ramstein for years. I mean, I think when we saw them, we were probably talking 15, 16, 17 years ago, whenever it was. Um, but, you know, even then, their show was, was yeah. nuts and it's just gone... If you're going to pay £120 to go and see a band which that kind of stature is generally what it costs now, bands yeah. like Ramstein give you value for money. Yeah, I saw them I saw them five years ago at Donington. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did that, uh, didn't they? Yeah. That was great. And I saw them, oh, was it 2012, 2014? It was one of the Sonospheres 10-ish years ago um, in Nebworth. They were great then. So. No, they've... Um... Yeah, what what they do is it's it's pretty special. I think they're they're up there with with the best when it comes to live production, live performances, and all that kind of shit. So, yeah. you know, the, the the East German aspect is something that's definitely worth worth mentioning actually, because it's I think the research I found was really fascinated me. Um, I mean, yeah, you kind of got these these bands in the nineties um, doing their thing and you know focusing on their own own language and culture and, and just getting on with it and doing it there. But it's um it's interesting to see the, the role that metal played in East Germany in the 1980s. Um because they were exposed to it through the military radio in the West. You could not stop that. That's one of the big, big problems the GDR had um in the 80s is they couldn't stop their um, population listening to radios in West Germany. Um, and because of the exposure of metal, um, it developed quite a significant fan base in East Germany. And they couldn't really get around it in the end of the authorities. They tried to do their best to, to stop it early on, um, but it became obvious to them with their research uh, investigations that it's, it's too popular. You're going to have trouble um, stopping that popularity. Um, and the, the heavy metal youth or heavies as they were called by the Stasi, they're actually good workers because again, you've got, you've got community, community minded people who want to be good Germans and good metalheads. Um, and they want to go to work because they want to earn money, um, to pay for their, uh, you know, uh, clothes and music and music's a bit difficult because they can't buy vinyl as easy as well unless they go to budapest and get stuff on the black market um but they can still pay for certain clothes and do the homemade stuff here and there and do all the tape trading uh within within the um within east germany um but it got to the point that you know these were people who didn't get politically involved and they kept everything you know safe yeah uh, within their culture and it almost got to the point, it, well, it did get to the point where I think the um, the youth wing of the GDR said, actually, you know what, keep keep this bunch on side because they're not harming anyone. They're not politically motivated like the punks are. Um, yes, yes, the music imagery 
you know, might have looked a bit fascist to begin with, but they're not fascists. They just want to, they just enjoy their heavy music and they want to do their jobs like good East Germans. Let them crack on with it. And it got to the point where they had their own radio station in East Germany playing heavier music than in West Germany. Because they were almost, it was almost to the point where, yeah, we can actually um, put up with this. But you're going to get to the point where they can't get vinyl easily. You know, they can't play professionally. You know, all their bands have to be approved and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and of course, everything coming to a head. And you think of the 80s. I'm not surprised um, thrash metal was popular in Germany, in West Germany, because you've got a country that's right at the heart of the Cold War. Yeah. That fear of nuclear war. If it's if it's big in Britain and America, I think what it must be like in Germany. Yeah. Not surprising that they latched onto that big time. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. So yes, it's fast. It's fascinating. I think, and I think that's it. You've got you see how significant metal is to Germany in the eighties to both sides. You can see how that's embedded into their overall culture, and it, it, it's weird because it actually almost collapsed overnight in East Germany. The, the heavy metal culture, because the freedom overtake everything and they went on to new things. But yeah. I think that's got, that's got a lot to do with how metal declined very quickly as a mainstream thing in the nineties anyway. Yeah, that's, that's fair point. That's fair point. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with your analysis of why the um, GDR and the Stasi viewed um, heavy metal as um, a threat. And I don't, I think you made some good points about the uh, the workers and everything, but like for example, the one of the one of the reasons why the Stasi and the GDR or the Stasi specifically feud um, kind of the the cultural penetration into East German society of heavy metal and punk as being a threat was not because it agitated the population. Was that because it actually encouraged them to be more politically neutral and or even docile? Therefore, if you look at like the the modus operandi of the KGB and the Stasi, who was in, in one of the more kind of partisan secret police organizations in, inside the Eastern Bloc and uh, behind the Iron Curtain was that you actually, it's in your best interests to keep your population politically agitated in terms of, especially in East Germany, the narrative was always um, the watchword being, you know, the fascists going back to World War II. Um, and they were very much fearful that the influence of heavy metal was making the youth um, firstly um, politically neutered as it were, and also the fact that a lot of the iconography that's used by um, heavy metal bands is, is like almost like a dog whistle to uh, fascist iconography. So, for example, I mean, like, very, let, let's just look at the, the, the flag that's behind Trigenz's head that he's got in his order, the Slayer flag with the eagle. Well, what other organisation uses the eagle? Nazi, the Nazi party, Nazi, yeah, yeah. the Wehrmacht, right? But then, which other in the in the in the in the Cold War period, which other country uses the eagle as its symbol? The yeah. Americans. And if you be, if you spent fifty to sixty years painting the Americans as being imperialists and the enemy, 
And then all of a sudden, the youth in your country are listening to music where they're, or they're trying to wear T-shirts that have got like Slay on them. It's got, I mean, there's even, there's even a Slayer T-shirt that says Slaytanic Wehrmacht. Yeah, I mean, you had that very T-shirt, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the start, so, right, I mean, the, uh, if, the, thing that I, the thing that I found interesting, uh, Metal Music Studies, Volume 2, Issue 2, July, June 2016, author Nikolai Okinu. Satan demands total annihilation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I want to read. In the German Democratic Republic. And you've got, if you look at the, the way the Stasi at first tried to clamp down on heavy metal because they viewed it as being an offshoot of the uh, fa- fascist infiltration, but then once they started, um, but then they realised that they were basically completely misunderstanding the motivations and um, uh, priorities of, of the youth that were listening to this music. And it wasn't, wasn't until they started talking to sociologists and academics that they realised that it wasn't the threat, but it was. And like Anthony said, they thought, well, well, let's just let them listen to it because there's not, not much we can do to, um, uh, you know, keep it from getting in. So that, um, and like, you know, he, Anthony used the term of the heavies, which is how they were referred to. And like, again, it's this, um, they were basically the, the entire industry of the East German Republic was the uh, heavy, um, heavy industry. So for example, one of the biggest exports was tracer for uh, bullets and also oh, yeah. rivets. Or uh, steel girders and things like tanks and things like that, um, which is why the basically the when they when the when the two Germanys reunited, that, that East Germany was so far behind that it had an inflationary impact on the, uh, the Deutschmark because they had to put so much money into the infrastructure to try and get East Germany back up to the same level as the West. Um, so, I mean, I think that was quite interesting. That Again, it's the, the thing with the iconography I thought was quite good. I mean, just, but it just shows how when you're that extreme in your thinking in terms of, like, you know, the KGB and the Stasi, the other secret polices in um, uh, the Eastern, Eastern European bloc, that you think that um, if someone listens to a slayer, they're, uh, they're a fascist or Judas Priest or... Black Sabbath, and then again on the flip side, if you look at the way that a metal fan was perceived in the UK or America, oh my God, they're a communist. It's a bizarre position to take because it's like if you view metal as a means of being anti-establishment, then it's gonna it will take on the persona and the characteristics of whatever is opposed to that. Um, a power structure. So if you've got a power structure that's based on like the free flow of capital and the ownership of private property, then the heavy matter will represent communism. But if you're in a communist power structure, then heavy metal presents fascism. And it's like there's no middle ground. It's like, no, it's not it's not liberal. No, it's communist, it's fascist. And it's just bizarre. I mean, the amount of shit that we have to get labeled with. Like, it's like it's almost some kind of like musical Schrodinger's cat until you open the box you're either you know you're either a fascist or a communist no one knows until you Slayer open the box. alone Slayer alone have had most of that thrown out the moment of the years all of that yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. What the not the communist and fascist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's it going to be like if you've got a country that's very liberal? You're going to be accused of being an anarchist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I I, <laughs> I was I was accused of being an anarchist when I first moved to Italy in 2006. And I had a fucking there was a carabinieri car parked outside my flat for two weeks. It's like the neighbours, the neighbours didn't know. I, I was like the only, I was literally the only English speaker in the village kind of thing. I think they were just like, he's an anarchist. He's listening to the devil's music. You know, uh, like they were like, they phoned up my uh, my boss and like, he uses the aircon, he uses the aircon during the day. And it's like, my boss is like, of course he does. It's 35 degrees outside. What the fuck is your problem? Thing is, though, uh, was was you sat on your balcony listening to Angel of Death? This, this is, you know, did did you poke that? Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but you know, even (laughs) even even stuff is like you know dangerous and politically uh, radical is like you know super unknown. I mean, it's just like fuck's sake. And it just again, the lengths that people will go to, or the lengths of unthinking people will go to when they fear the outsider. You know, it's like because again, it like back then, it's still still like it to some extent now. But this this idea of Sicilians are very untrustworthy of the uh, or untrusting of the uh, the outsider, and it's it's all about the uh, you know the recommendation, like the recommendation. Like you know, see if someone says, you know, okay, so basically, have you seen the film Bonnie Brasco? Yeah, no. Yep. Right. You know when um, he first meets up with um, um, Al Pacino, and he goes, "Right, I'm going to take you to the meetup." And if I say this is a friend of mine, it means you're not a made man. But if I say, if I introduce you as this is a friend of ours, it means you're a made man and you'll get straight in, kind of thing. And it's like that. You know, this is you know, this is a friend of mine. You get the recommendation in. You know, he must be okay because he's friends with my friend. And I didn't get rid of that police car until one of my students, um, Antonio, was actually, he was in the police as well. And I told him about it and he was just like, leave it with me. So like after the lesson, he walks me back to the flat. And the flat's only like, you know, two minute walk from the school. And uh, the car's parked outside the house. And he just knocks on the window, shows his badge. And he's like, this is my English teacher. What are you doing outside of his house? And they're like, oh, we've had reports that he's an anarchist. And he's like, he's not a fucking anarchist. He's from the UK and he's my English teacher. What the fuck is your problem? And they're like, oh, that's no, okay. You're, no, you're, you're, you're a copper too. No, you've, he's vouched for you. You're okay, we'll see you later. Like, we've got better things to do with our time than, like, you spy on your activities. And I was like, I don't know what you expect to see. I come home, I make dinner, I drink a bottle of wine and go to bed. Like, what the fuck do you think I'm doing? You know, it's just like, it's retarded. It's just, you couldn't make this shit up. And like, to be honest, it's one of the reasons why I love this job. There's some of the mad shit that's happened over the last 20 years. Fucking hell. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's, that's, that's the usual weekly tangent, I think, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, it, it's just, <laughs> yeah. Do you think, though, that... that- Going back to Germany quickly, like what you've just been talking about, that you were almost ostracized for being the outsider, um, that Germany kind of 
Germany has that that element of you know you outsiders into heavy metal and all that kind of thing, but it's all it might be the outsiders, but it's all accepted within German culture. It's such a big part of their culture that even though they might consider themselves outsiders, it's all accepted. Well, I think I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about once you once you're put into a position when you have to face the most negative and dark periods of your own history and accept your own culpability in those things. And one of the, one of the things, one of the tenets of national socialism was that it was exclusionary. If you, if you didn't, I mean, it's one of the most egregious forms of elitism that you can ever really picture because this idea of the, uh, the Uber mentioned that the Superman, the Aryan, being racially superior and if you don't meet those criteria you're not in the club yeah um and when you base an entire society on that um then you're going to exclude not it's not even just the fact that it was jewish people that were excluded it was numerous set parts of society who were excluded from this kind of very narrow criteria and then all of a sudden you're given the opportunity once that system is replaced with a more kind of progressive liberal liberalism you're then going to be like it doesn't matter if i'm not in your group the group can still the groups can coexist the groups can can, you know and and it adds to the tapestry of society rather than having a, a very monochrome approach to society i mean if you look at if you look at all the countries in in europe that were either controlled by uh, Nazi Germany. Look how liberal Holland was for years. I mean, li- Holland's a strange one. It's shifting at the moment, but one of the first countries in the world to seriously have conversations about legalizing certain drugs, legalizing prostitution, yeah. making it safe for women. Germany's the same thing. You've got actual legally regulated red red uh, red light zones, and yeah, things like that. And it's you know it's considered a job, and it's not necessarily looked down upon. I mean, these I think. These are products of the fact that when you've been subdued and controlled against your own will, even for a short period of time, you're much more willing to entertain the idea of a plurality of ideas rather than be have one idea focused and, and forced down the throat, whether or not you are accepting of it or not. So I think that there's something to be said for that. France as well, you know, very... Um, avant-garde and they're thinking historically but also it's not necessarily as liberal after the after world war ii because they they still had um issues with the like the third republic for example under de gaulle and uh their um colonial possessions overseas and they were still fighting against the you know ho chi Minh in the 50s and everything algeria but um there was always a strong counter anti-establishment movement in those countries, especially with some of the students in the 1960s. And it's just something that we never had to the same degree in this country. This so basically, 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 Germany have got the balance right of um, all these different subcultures can coexist and no, one, no one's got a problem with that. They've, they've got the balance just right. Unlike where you are now with your far right leadership, all that kind of thing is going to go out the window. Would you... I'm not. I don't. I don't think it's going to go out the window. But I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know what these people want. I don't know what 
it's like how far can you you turn back the clock? Is it even possible? What and what's it the shouldn't end be? Game? It shouldn't be possible. What, what what's the end game? Sorry, Anthony, I, I, I know you want to say something. But what what's the what's the end game here? What does it look like? What is it? What is it? These people actually want. I don't know what it looks like. Does it does it mean that, for example, in Italy they've closed down all the abortion clinics, they've rolled back women's rights, they've banned gay marriage, and where does that get in a in a in what is supposed to be a liberal democracy? I I, I don't understand what, and I'm not even advocating that it should go. The other way, either there needs to be some kind of rationality to it, but I, I just don't know what these people want. I really don't. Sorry, Anton. Yeah, no, I was just just something that occurred to me um, with Germany. Do you think of Germany, so Germany, West Germany? I, I said getting used to the West, Western East. I haven't said for years. Um, in the mid in the mid eighties, you got this scene that's progressing and they're getting good at what they're doing having absorbed this very Anglo-American music form. Um, And I wonder if there was a desire to sort of forge their own uh, cultural path within the scene, because, you know, by 84, you've got a couple of tracks um, from overseas. You've got Aces High and you've got Made in England from Man of War. So you've got this strong... Anglo military um, aspect, which I'm sure maybe was felt a bit uncomfortable in Germany. They like the music, but actually, let's we kind of don't like that so much. We want to maybe we need to sort of forge our own thing so that we don't have to listen to stuff like that as much. I don't know. It's I can see how they might not want to listen to a song like Aces High. Yeah, I get that. I, I definitely get that. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I know they can separate separate things properly, but I, I, you know, if, if a German said, "I don't want to listen to this," it's, you know, I, I can understand. Yeah. No, I think I think it's a fair point, especially at the time. It's probably, um, yeah, it's probably relevant. And you know what? Just going away from Germany for a sec on the subject of Aces High. Uh, on this day in 1985, Live After Death was released. Probably the greatest live album that we know. Um, so what's that? 1985. Where are we now? 2022. That's a fucking long time ago. 37 years. 37 years ago. On this day, Live After Death was released. So uh, so there you go. Last week we had Rain of Blood. This week it's it's Live After Death. It's, um, it seems like every week now there's an anniversary of a great release. Greatest live album, was it? Probably is, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think there's anything that comes close. No, no, not really. I mean, going off on one by the tangent, maybe. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) Just no, shut up. (laughs) It's, um, if anything, it's just the rendition of Phantom the Opera on that. And Hallow Be Thy Name as well. Just like, just that extra pace. It's just. Yeah, those those two songs. Yeah. Those two songs in particular. I mean, I can't really think of any other live album. You see, like, you know, a lot of the bands that we listen to or we've mentioned repeatedly on this episode, not uh, this episode, this this podcast, I've never really put out, like, a really good live album. I mean, no. there's, there's excerpts that you can see on B-sides. Right here. That's a good recording of that. But Decade know, of Aggression. 
I think actually that's probably be up there, definitely. Probably is, yeah. Because like uh, Bean said last week, it's just hit after hit after hit. Yeah. Yeah. And the recording quality is really good. It is, yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, obviously as well, you know, we're on episode 25 now. I was going to mention that, that we are, uh, we're, we're a quarter of a century in. Um, I didn't think we'd, we'd get this far, to be honest with you. Um, I thought we might sort of, you know, thought, fucking hell. I, mean, I, I thought it was going to be assassinated by episode 13. <laughs> I don't think any mad cunt would still be listening at this point, but clearly they are. And you know what? Um, I should probably say thank you to everyone that is still listening because every week our, our listening numbers are going up and up and up. Um, and it's sort of in more countries around the world. Uh, who have I seen that's joined us this week? I can't even remember, which that's fucking terrible. Hungary. We have a listener in Hungary this week, so apologies to Hungary. Um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're 25 episodes in. Um, we'd like to think that it's got better as time's gone on, maybe. I, I don't know about that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, thank you to everyone who's been listening to us because, you know, it's, it's something for us old farts to sit here and do on a Friday night. I've got, we've got nothing I've, else I've to got do. a question. So I think we, we've, we might have mentioned this before. So if any of our listeners would, you know, would like to con- you know, comment on this idea, how would people feel if we brought someone onto this podcast that knew hardly anything about music? metal music and like allow us to provide them with some kind of Damascusian road moment in their <laughs> life where we convert them to uh, metal. I mean, metal, I, metal got, conversion I, therapy. I've got the person in mind. One of my colleagues. Um, <laughs> I think, shout um, out to uh, my, uh, my actual, my actual, one of my bosses, Shannon, She's volunteered to come on and allow us to relieve her of her innocence, as it were. Are we the right narrow-minded metalhead scumbags to try and convince someone that metal is the way to go? You two are, but I could do. I could have a go. You probably could. Yeah, you, you've Shut got you've, you've got a more reasonable approach. Um, I think before any of that happens, um, I noticed your uh, your good lady wife responded on social media this week. About your comments previously to, um, I didn't you know, see her, be, her being the apprentice and you being the master and all that. Who gave her, her permission? I, I've told her she she is more than welcome to come on here and put you. Where, right. where is this? Is this on Instagram? Yes. Who told her about Instagram? She started your Instagram account. For fuck's sake! Oh yes, yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She did. Right, She's coming right. for you. Where is this? She's coming. See, this is what. This is what happens when you let them come out of the kitchen. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, apologies. Apolog- I did, that was just a, a stupid joke. Although I don't, what I do is I don't let my wife in the kitchen. Otherwise, you'll just never eat. Um, <laughs> where, is it? Look, where is this damn post? I don't, you, you're going to stro- you're gonna have to stroll through my posts and comments and have a look. But- oh, for crying out loud. What, why, um, why, why is there a picture of a tiger? Why is there a picture of a tiger? Yeah, I don't know. Who's post? Who's sharing that? What are oh, you I don't know about? What's going on? What the fuck? Oh, fuck's sake! I don't know how to use Instagram. 
All right, bless you. But now, when you now when you listen this. to this, um, get on this podcast and put him right. It needs to happen. I don't even know if I'm actually you know connected to my wife on Instagram. But why would you? Just know no, your fucking I can't place. Find it. Know your Sorry? fucking place. Know your fucking place. And do as you're told. I mean, it's not a really a case of like who wears the the, the trousers in um. This, this marriage, it's like who wears the chaps, the, le- the leather chaps, you know? So to, to read her response... With, with the tassels gone, then what did she say? To read Nat's response, this was uh, to my post about Queen last week. As the wife of Padre, I'd like to formally request the opportunity to refute the spurious claims made about my status as apprentice. She is! Is she fuck? I mean that within the context of, um, you know, my our jobs... Not as in um, Keep digging. life or, or music. No, I'm not digging. I'm you not are digging. digging. Keep digging a hole. No, yeah, no, let's get her on. Let's get her on. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get her on if she can stay her place. Um, right. Until that point, let's uh, let's move. On. Are you um, are you representing at your local metal bar this evening? Like you have done for the last. Uh, two no, days? it's uh, there's not much going on there tonight. So. Uh, I mean, I might go down if people want to go. Then I might go. But um, no, next month is the uh, big one. We've got. There's a there's a there's a thrash band playing. There's a a kind of a band that's been built as some kind of a sonic youth influence band. So I you know, definitely check that out. What's the name um, of the bar? What's the name of it? Interzone. On uh, in Reggio Reggio di Calabria, Interzone. It is on Via Possidano, and it's near the. Um, Leonardo da Vinci Scientific School, which is the school where I teach uh, history and English. It's original name for a school in Italy. Um, all right, so if you're if you're in the area, go and check it out. Stay away from him though, because he's trouble. I'll be there outside. Um, all right, so thank you for listening this week. Might be a little bit nonsensical at times, but I think we got the point across. Um, next week we're joined by a guy called John Lambert. Uh, who's the brains behind Noise Dosage Media. He's coming on to talk about uh, a death metal documentary that he's produced called Between Exaltation and Aggression. It's on YouTube now. Um, it's, it's, it's got interviews from people like Napalm Death, from Dying Fetus, uh, and, and various other extreme bands. Go and check it out. I'll stick a link in our link tree on social media and that, but he's coming on next week to talk all about that. And to, you know, naturally, as it is on this podcast, have a couple of beers and talk nonsense. So we'll look forward to that. Um, In the meantime, go and check that out. Uh, Thank you for listening this week. And uh, we'll catch you next week on the other side.